Good morning. <laughs> this is Charlie Adler, every character on Cow and Chicken, and you're listening to too much scrolling. Ooh, I'll see you in the future. <laughs> Welcome to Too Much Scrolling for January 23rd, 2024. I'm Steve Foder. I'm Frozen Ship Passing Fly. <laughs> We're just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us. Hopefully they're important to you. If you need more information, there's so many great ways to find more information. Yeah, the the winter continues across the country, even there in uh, North Carolina. It's, it's, it's cold there, Chip. Sure, can I get down almost to 30, Steve? Do you want to build a snowman? Oh, that wasn't the frozen that you were referring to. Got it. Different frozen. <laughs> it was so cold. It was so cold in the Midwest. Everybody is really suffering. We are getting into, you know, epic, epic cold. I hope that everybody out there is staying warm. Film at 11. Brings us to our film at 11, our movie of the week. You, sir, my goodness, you have been staying warm by going to the movie theater, apparently. You've got four different films this week? Well, you know, you finish up your, your work for the week or for the day, and what do you got? You got a little bit of time, and then, oh, there were some special showings this week, and I got invited to a few of them. And so it does look like we have a little bit more than we would normally review, but that's part of it's because a lot of these films were released for a week or so during the fall uh, for award season, but now we're going to get their, you know, their releases. Yes. We're finally getting to the list of good movies. Those were that were released at the end of 2023 that are now getting their wide release. You saw ISS, the story of the international space station. Tell us all about this one. This is intriguing. Oh, this is very intriguing, Steve. Our, our story, if you're not familiar with the International Space Station, Russia and the United States, um, our space programs have agreed to create a satellite system to do a bunch of testing up in space. So our story begins with a game, Steve. Let's just consider this a game. Hmm. Three Russians, three U.S., and uh, they're uh, enjoying doing their studies. They're being scientists up on the space station. Working they look together. out the window. And what do they say? Oh, my goodness. It looks like a war has broken out on the Earth. Looks like a nuclear war. Oh, boy. Each side receives orders. Hey, take control of the space station. You've got six people up there. What are you going to do? Wow. You can act as a team. You can act as an individual. You can act as a whole. You, all of you could work together and go, hey, we're not going to do anything. Wow. But that didn't, uh, that's not how our story goes. So this is um, certainly a thought-provoking what-if type of scenario. And certainly this would make a great game. I mean, think about six people sitting around talking, making deals with one another. To and survive. then at the end... Who is going to survive and be our winner? Wow, that is intriguing. I, you know how much I love the what-if scenarios. And we are dealing with a real-life what-if scenario on the International Space Station. And if something radical like this happened, what would we do? Wow. So we do have North Carolina's daughter, Ariana um, DeBose, is going to be one of our players on it. 
She is uh, one of the actors who was part of this sex. It, it is a very interesting uh, film, certainly worthy of your time. If you're interested, 70 out of 100. All right. I am definitely interested in that one. You also saw The Zone of Interest. Ha ha ha. Here we have a story about perspective and about what we know and about what we uh, ignore in life. So our story is a reading story, Steve. It's in the uh, it's in Deutsch in okay. German. Right. And um, we've got this upperly mobile um, German family. Steve is the commander of a base. The the wife runs a um, you know a very German home. I mean, it's clean. The children, there's four or five children. They're all taken care of. Um, she has taken the land around the base. She's planted flowers against the uh, base wall. Nice. She has put a pool in. She's growing vegetables. They spend time canoeing on the river that's right next door to it. They go horse riding. It certainly is an ideal life. Um, the base is Auschwitz, Steve. It's during World War II. Wow. And there is something about this film. This is a, a, directed by Jonathan Glazer. Mm-hmm. But it's very disturbing. Yeah. Um, it is very quiet, with the exception of um, you hear the screams and you hear the dogs barking. You hear shots once in a while. It's always in the background. You, you Sometimes they have to close the windows, Steve. And you get this bop, bop, this type of music that comes in once in a while. A very This is a sold-out audience to see this. This is a film that that could be one of the best of the year. I say 70 out of 100. It's certainly an exploration and something you should you know consider watching. Consider- if you like an art house type film. Aha. This is an art house kind of film that is going to make you think. Thinking about perspective. Thinking about what you know. Thinking about what you ignore in order to have the happy life that you have. That is, uh, that's some That's some deep meaning here. You know what's going on in Auschwitz during World War II. Right. And that is what makes it so disturbing. Wow. You also saw Origin. This is a thought-provoking film based on the book Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents by Isabel Wilkerson. Yeah, I'll say uh, 65 out of 100 for this film. This is based off that 2020 book. This is right after Trayvon Martin murder where this kid is in Florida. He is walking with a hoodie up. He just bought some Skittles and a drink and is kind of going to a friend's house. He's talking on his phone. And so this is, you know, where Trayvon Martin is being looked at from the neighborhood watch, where the neighbors are getting out and they're just, they've had some break-ins in their neighborhood. And uh, they mistake his walking through the neighborhood with being a person who is um, uh, doing something uh, bad, illegal, Hmm. Um, which he wasn't. He wasn't. It's just an unfortunate event, but certainly one that had a wake-up call. So a newspaper has asked our writer, Isabel Wilkerson, to write a piece about this. And she writes books now. Um, And she's like, you know, I only write books. I don't really write columns. But uh, she decided she would take this on. And um, ultimately, her revelation is that it wasn't necessarily race that was causing this. She was uh, suggesting that there's a caste system. In America. 
well, in the United States, yeah. but she's looking at it across the world. Mm. And the three groups that she's looking at are the American Blacks. She's also looking at the Jewish people during World War II under Germans okay. and how they used American Jim Crow laws mm. to write their laws to to work with Jewish people. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden there was an additional. And then um, I think it's the Didots. I apologize if I got that incorrect, but this is an Indian group that's the lowest caste in India who they're not allowed to touch people. They Many times I think they had to walk with a broom behind them. Their job is doing stuff like cleaning out where people use the restroom. Hmm. And the little boys in India who are, or I'm sorry, the, the children uh, have to sit on the floor in the back of the classroom. Wow. And they're they're not allowed to sit with the other children. Where the other children can go to the drinking fountain, they have to have water delivered to them and they can't touch it. One of the most touching scenes is one of the final scenes, and it was not part of, supposed to be part of this uh, movie. And that is um, a part where back in the 1950s, some boys won a championship on the baseball team, and they're all going to go swimming in the swimming pool. And one of the boys was black. And uh, when they arrived and they're getting ready to go in, the uh, participant said, no, no, you can't go in. You're, you're black. And the kid had to go sit outside the fence while watching all of his teammates in the swimming pool. This is the 40s or 50s. The families brought him hot dogs, handed him over the fence. You know, they tried to make him part of this. But, you know, once again, you've got a child mm-hmm. uh, sitting outside this fence. And it was really moving to one of the extras who was on, he was not part of the cast, but just, you know, in the background. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I had an experience like this when I was a child. And so our actor, who plays Isabella Wilkerson, she sat down with this gentleman and he basically ad-libbed the story and they kind of did a little bit of improv. Hmm. And it is an incredible touching moment where he was going, yeah, this this happened. And it was not supposed to be part of the movie. So the magic of movies right there. At the end of our film, we had golf claps in the audience. Right. So there was a, this is a packed audience to see it. These are people from all walks of life. This book has certainly been a, co- a topic of conversation, something that we just haven't gotten to, yep. but it's always been on the table there. But I um, will say that this is a fascinating exploration. I do think there's some challenges with the the arguments in it, okay. but I, I think the arguments are very strong, and I can't articulate what those challenges are right now. But my hope is, is that no child ever experiences, no adult ever experiences what a caste system can bring. And I mean, certainly it, it is something that's very thought provoking. This is a movie that was designed for a, a award winning, to be award winning. Okay. We, we have not gotten to this book. I am intrigued by the idea that we do have a caste system and that is the basis of many of our problems in our nation, not necessarily the racism that is usually highlighted as an issue. That's very intriguing to me. We will get to that book. We will we'll get there. You also saw The Color Purple. This is the movie of the musical of the movie of the book of the week. Yeah, it, was, it started out as a book, certainly an award-winning book. Eventually became the 1985 movie 
that Oprah Winfrey and, and Whoopi Goldberg was part of. Um, this was adapted to a Broadway musical. And of course, this film is an adaption of the Broadway musical. It is the bleakest of bleakest stories. Yeah. We have a child that's being raped by a parent, uh, eventually sold off to marriage to have an abusive relationship with her husband, who certainly had no love for her, certainly wasn't kind to her. But don't make that, you know, there's no problem here, Steve. It's a musical. There will be a happy ending. Agreed. And there will be songs. They all get around a tree and have a picnic and all will be well. This stars, once again, a North Carolina daughter, uh, Fantasia Barino. Uh, Fantasia was one of those people who won American Idol and also uh, has been a Broadway mainstay okay. uh, in many ways. She's our lead. We get a few nods. Whoopi Goldberg makes a, um, a brief appearance. And um, the, um, I don't know, the jazz club is named Harpo which uh, is Oprah, right? Yes. Um, David Allen Greer is the reverend in this, by the way. And I'm going, I know that guy. Why do I know that guy? And it was David Allen Greer from In Living Color. Yeah, haven't seen him on screen for a while. He's he's faded into the background a bit. Probably anybody who's everybody is part of this cast. This is a, listen, I, I don't know who would want to go in and see something so bleak hmm. initially when he had other choices. But this is very good. I'll say 70 out of 100. Okay. The music's great. The story is fine once you get through the initial part of it. Don't worry. We do have a, a happy ending at the end. And once again, trying to be an award winner. All right. I See, saw... I'm not the only one who went to the theater. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, you are the only one who went to the theater. It's musical season, my friend. <laughs> well, Steve, for you... Um, you have this incredible cold snap. School is being canceled. You've got to find some way to spend those hours. What did you find? I found something incredibly interesting this week. I found a history of the world in six glasses, the mini series that was given to us on Fox nation this week. This is a book that we've reviewed before. We talked about it back in 2016 live at the blue box cafe, the history of the world in six glasses by Tom Standage is a magic trick of a history book. How do we look at world history through the lens of beer, wine, liquor, coffee, tea, and Coca-Cola, and see the history of humanity through those six drinks. With something so ambitious, Steve, it must have a good cast to be able to make those discussions. Okay. So the book is really good. We talked about the book back in 2016. The book is really good. Tom Standage is in on the TV presentation of this material and he brings along some of my some of the people in the world that make me smile the most dan Aykroyd, jim belushi kevin nealon john lovitz and george went come together to discuss history through the lens of these six drinks and it is brilliant it is a great way to study history did it start live from new york <laughs> Yes, yes, it did. This is all coming to you live from New York. 
Saturday Night Live has been such a staple of entertainment for the last 50 years and is such a mainstay. And these guys are such a part of my life. Uh, the Blues Brothers is, okay, my second favorite fictional band. I, I can say that out loud because my first favorite fictional band is Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem. But I grew up a huge fan of Saturday night live and the style of comedy that came out of that improv and the blues brothers I've seen on stage, uh, at the Joliet prison. I love these guys. So Ch Jim Belushi, when discussing these beverages, has some words of wisdom to one of the other people. Tell us about that. So Jim Belushi sets up Dan Aykroyd as the history guy. Dan Aykroyd is a, a, a brain. He is studying so many things in our society. And Steve, Steve, he's the inventor of the, uh, the basomatic. Yes. He is the intellectual of this conversation. Jim Belushi is the, the everyman, the, the chip character who sits around and goes, Oh, I didn't know that Kevin Nealon comes in and he is the, uh, thorn in the side of the pair. John Lovitz is just John Lovitz. I, I, he love John Lovitz to, to no end. And he comes in and he's just John Lovitz. And he's going to tell him all about the things he wants to tell him. And George Went, of course, is the beer expert. He is the guy that. Norm. <laughs> Norm. He is the guy that I think of when I think of beer. His book, Drinking with George, is all about beer and the history of beer. Bringing him in for the beer episode was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> There's so much fun fun happening in this conversation. Uh, I put a couple of quotes in the notes. My, my first thing that I wrote down, some days you wake up ready to dissect a dolphin and sometimes you wake up and all you want to do is chop the King's head off. There's so much history that is involved in this conversation of world history and drinks that you have to get into this conversation to even, um, even parse out that sentence to understand how many things have happened based on these six glasses. Well, obviously coffee has a special, uh, place in our discussion, Steve. Yes. Tell us a little bit about coffee. We have so much coffee. We have so much coffee on too much scrolling. We've had coffee. We've gone to coffee shops. We've had so much coffee with so many great people. There's a punchline at the end of this six episode miniseries where John Lovitz is a part of the coffee episode. And at one point, Jim Belushi just says, you know, guys, I love having this conversation. I love talking with you. I love drinking coffee, but I, you got about three minutes before I have to leave. <laughs> the coffee has a special, something special. Uh, it does to the body, Steve, something very special about coffee at the very, very end of this six episode. Very interesting history lesson john lovitz turns to jim belushi and goes have a nice push and it ends it is the end of the whole miniseries i love this to no end i i obviously know what i like i laughed out loud at these guys talking about these things i suggest this highly it is on fox nation you have to give them that they're they're six dollars to see this but i i would recommend finding this seeking this out i also recommend the book the book is really good as well book it book it book it 
Brings you to our book and our book of the week. One of my favorite genres is thinking about how we put together stories and thinking about how stories affect our culture. So I got another, the science of book this week, this week, I read the science of star Trek. This was published in 2022 by Mark Brake. Now we've talked about the science of before we talked about the science sure. Rick and Morty by Matt Brady. We talked to him back in July, but this is Mark Brake, a different author. Sure. And basically the idea is you use pop culture to start our conversation about, you know, something you'd like to know more about in this case, science. Yeah. Thinking through what we are doing and how we are doing it can be daunting, but if we go from a fictional kind of level, you can learn a lot. I love the opening quote for this book. If you want your children to be intelligent, read them fairy tales. If you want them to be very intelligent, read them more fairy tales. That's a quote from Albert Einstein, one of our greatest thinkers. And he understood how fiction can lead to real thinking, real science, real exploration. So I'm going to use the, um, the idea that, you know, when you read fairy tales, not because you're, you're battling dragons, it's to show that the dragons can be defeated. Uh-huh. So it basically says, you know, this idea that you read your fairy tales or you experience them to give you hope that you can solve the challenges of the day. And that's so much what Star Trek has been able to do since 1966. The utopia that Gene Roddenberry was putting together to think through all of the problems of our life, the social issues, the civil rights issues, the diversity, the, the ability for us to look forward to what we can accomplish together is Star Trek for me. Damn it, Steve. What is this book about? I can't, I can't read. I'm only a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> the science of Star Trek goes through one issue at a time, looking at how we are currently using science to answer the questions of life. And we think about how we can make everything well better. Well, the Wiener Smiths certainly have put a damper on so much of what we're going to do, Steve. Tell us, tell oh, us if there's hope. Oh, <laughs> the City on Mars book that we read that is such a wet blanket to all of the, the hope and the utility of Star Trek. This brings me back to how much I want to get out there. I want to be a part of a history of space exploration. And it this book is very good at looking at what we are currently doing. The International Space Station is a huge step toward that exploration of space. What can we do? How should we do it? Thinking about all of the space junk that we have put into our orbit. There's so many things that earthlings have placed into orbit around the earth. It, uh, it becomes daunting to even pass through that empty, that huge empty space, because those things are hurtling at us at such a high speed. We need to be very careful in that area. 
Sounds like it's an opportunity for an entrepreneur, Steve. Uh, there's plenty of entrepreneurs thinking about how we can use our technology to get to the stars like Star Trek. So what kind of questions are being answered in this book, Steve? Well, a lot of it is questions that we still don't have answers to. Star Trek asked so many good questions about things like aliens. Are there beings outside of our planet? We have yeah, the little bears, Steve, and they're itty, itty, bitty. You can't even see them. So the tardigrades is what you're referring to. The, the water bears in space as NASA.gov will, will give you the, the very, Steve, you can survive everything with those. As long as you're one millimeter long, eight-legged creatures, you can survive in the vacuum of space and and boiling water. I wonder how they know that. There's there's so much to understand. There's so much left to know. The the vast knowledge that we don't know about space is really what's at the heart of our study of Star Trek. Can we find alien life? Is there alien life out there? The Fermi paradox is still a big part of our day. We have so much knowledge. We've looked in so many parts of space, but we still don't have any evidence of a, a real uh, humanoid kind of existence outside of Earth. Earth is a magical place still. The idea well, we can, we're waiting for Bob to come back, Steve. <laughs> All praise Bob. The idea of hunting... Another planet, finding that Goldilocks planet, the, they called it M-class planets in Star Trek. Finding that M-class planet is something that we've been working on for a long time. We have found so many in recent history. In the last few years, we found quite a few habitable planets where we could possibly eventually go boldly, uh, but we could think through all of the possibilities with the science of Star Trek. If they only had silence, Steve, they'd have a plan. They have a plan. They have a plan. We don't have to worry about it. The culture that space has created, the culture that we are hoping to create as we travel further into space is something that uh, Gene Roddenberry absolutely gave us in Star Trek. The idea, the final chapter of this book is quite possibly the most intriguing. The question of the final chapter is, are we Borg? Are we going to create a world where we are so dependent upon technology that technology and humanity fuse together in such a way that we can't survive without technology? Steve, you didn't tell me I needed to fire up the lava lamp. Well, the question, that's not philosophical. The question is whether or not we are currently dependent on technology. I say to you over Zoom for our podcast that goes on to the internet. Uh, of course, Steve. And, and as um, Elon Musk hasn't answered that question yet. Uh, we'll get to in the news, in the news, we'll get to how weather can affect that technology. And when that technology is affected by weather, how, uh, the system breaks down. Well, the, the point being is that Elon Musk actually has talked about that and they're actually working on a, uh, technology that will I don't know, be implanted into you. Yes. So you truly will become Borg. And if you take other arguments that he has made, the idea that maybe we're living in a simulation, Steve, and you can, I don't know, fight people very, very fast. 
that you know maybe you're living in the matrix cage match cage match with him and mark zuckerberg elon musk ladies and gentlemen star trek is one of my favorite storytelling devices the idea of humanity how humanity will survive is very much at the heart of the utopia that is presented in star trek almost as much as in doctor who the idea of we we humans will find a way we will get there we will make it all come true the science of star trek is fascinating to me and i i find I find myself thinking about this book a lot and the color skivvy certainly is very important to you and what you name yourself. Like if your name is guy. Yes. We can always bring this conversation back to galaxy quest. One of the best star Trek movies. Yes, that's, that is, that's a movie that I think about all the time too, because it's one of the best star Trek movies. So I highly recommend that you continue your study, continue your science, continue your history. I, look at me. I did a history and a science this week. Wow. Wow. There's very, two very, points for you, Steve. Both based on television. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That's the science of Star Trek published in 2022 by Mark Brake. Scroll with it. Brings it to our scroll with it. There's plenty of things happening in the world. Let's talk about almost none of them, but boy, are these important topics, Chip. Well, Steve, it was very cold in Chicago this week. Yeah. With the wind chill, it got down to like no, negative 34 or so. 34 below zero wind chill for three days in a row. Then we, it warmed up a little bit for a day or two, and then it went back into freezing. Now it's going to rain for the next four days and be 35 degrees. That's the weather report from Chicago. Back to you, Chip. Well, why that's important is we're moving from a lot of the um, gasoline engines that we currently are using over to the new electric vehicles. And it seemed to be a problem because it was so cold. How cold the, was it? Sorry. Well, the vehicles were unable to be charged because it couldn't get warm enough Correct. to get to the level where they could be charged. Right. And so what was happening is many of the Teslas and other electric vehicles at the time were finding that uh, they were being abandoned or they were even making it to a charging station, but because of the temperature, they were able to move forward on that. And, and you know, should... battery technology, when it's cold, batteries don't work the same way. The, the fluids inside of the battery, when they're cold, they run like, well, like molasses, like uh, honey. And it's important to understand that you need to get that temperature up to that optimal level in order to take a charge, much less to use a charge. So one of the questions you would, I would ask if a person was considering an electric vehicle in a cold environment is, do they have a garage? Because mm -hmm. many times you can get it warm enough in the garage where you can do that charging. It sounds like many of the people that were having the challenges, they were buying the vehicles, they were charging them up, say at their local Whole Foods or Target, wherever they have the charging station during normal times, but these were abnormal times. Mm -hmm. And it was certainly showing the limitations that we have as a technology and how, how this is set up today. So we had footage on the news all week of this line of dead cars parked in Oak Brook. And my favorite quote was, look at all these dead robots. 
I just love that. Yes, you have to be mindful. There's they a were terminated, of, Steve. There's a lot of thinking. Hey, there you go. There's your. There, you could solve the problem of the Terminator by freezing him and breaking him into little pieces. Oh, that didn't work out so well in the Terminator, did it? <laughs> the idea of charging, the idea of EVs, you have to be very conscious of all of these issues going forward, for sure. Steve, let's talk about something really scary. <laughs> Chinese scientists create a mutant coronavirus strain that attacks the brain and has a 100% kill rate in mice. That should frighten you just a little bit. Well, say very Wuhan of it, Steve. Yeah. Um, basically, what their concern is, is that if these are, these are the type of um, studies that are going on, the Chinese military are part of this. And the idea being is that it could spark another pandemic. Yeah. Steve, we've got another um, story that's very interesting. It has to do with Bitcoin. And a grad student at the University of California, San Diego, has shown that she can, through her studies, she can determine where those Bitcoins were traded. So, the so anonymity. something that was initially set up to be anonymous. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got a code breaker that's showing it's not anonymous, that she can actually figure out where it goes. It seems like there be some governments that may have interest in maybe tax issues mm. on people transferring assets or illegal activities or any number of things, Dave. Certainly one of the issues with cryptocurrency is, is how that money is moving and who is responsible for uh, taxation on that. Uh, transaction. Mm-hmm. So, so what's fascinating about this study is also the, the how she created her, um, I don't know, the trail to be able to follow it. She was making three or 400 uh, different uh, transfers between different groups, between uh, different wallets, purchasing things and uh, selling things. Anyway, it allowed her to create this database and from that, she was able to read it. And it seems like she had an interest in it a long time ago. It certainly seems a little angels and demons of this, Steve. Hmm. Trying Dan to Brownish. race it back and find the puzzle. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, cryptocurrency is still a, a question mark. There's a lot of stories still out there about cryptocurrency and, and what benefits there are for that, for sure. Spotify is one of the things that that we've been using for a while now. Uh, what's going on with Spotify? What we've been using, you've been using. I don't I, use Spotify. I use uh, the Apple uh, version of it. But Spotify, Spotify dominates the audio streaming. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the questions being asked by a lot of companies right now are, where are the profits? Mm. So they've invested so heavily in this technology they basically have 600 million users. They're still adding su- uh, subscriptions every month. They don't lose. There's, when, once you choose your music app, most of the time you don't change. Most people are not changing between, you know, Apple Music and Spotify to another, you know, one of the other services, Amazon or what are the other ones out there. So the question is, is where is the where is the profit on this? And the the company has laid off 2,300 people. It's about 17% of its workforce. Hmm. And um, I think there there could be some real changes that are going to come to some of our streaming apps. And the question is, um, how much do you pay this month for your music? And is there going to be a push to 
have you pay more. Hmm. And here's the other part about that. Didn't uh, Weird Al say something about his Spotify check? He certainly did. He certainly did. On the year-end wrap-up, those of us who are big fans of Weird Al, we got a special message straight from Weird Al saying, thank you so much for downloading my music so much. I got a, I got like $17 this year. That's enough to buy a sandwich. So even the artists have complained about these streaming services about not being able to make enough money on them. And the question is, is what's going to end up happening with them? Um, with Spotify not working, you know, if you're Apple, if you're Google, if you're uh, Amazon, you've got other services that you can wrap this into. Spotify is on their own. They certainly became a candidate for potential takeover mm -hmm. from a company like Microsoft or some of the other ones out there. But my point being is they're not profitable and changes are going to be made and we just need to follow this. For sure. We're also following the future of magazines. Sports Illustrated lays off most of its staff uh, this week. And I don't know what the future of, of Sports Illustrated looks like. So this is an example of a legacy brand uh, out there. Sports Illustrated certainly was growing up where if you were a writer of sports, and you were, you know, sort of the artistic writer, you would want to work for Sports Illustrated. That's where you went to see, um, it wasn't just your local game, it could be the best game of the, of the week they would write about it. The company that owns Sports Illustrated went out of business. Uh, and so the brand was bought, and it's being leased to a, a company that has had a website called Sports Illustrated and may have some print magazines. But regardless, they could not, uh, they missed a payment. And um, they just don't have readership. It really shows you how ESPN has um, changed how we consume sports, also how we consume media mm -hmm. um, on sports. So that ESPN is owned by Disney, um, Sports Illustrated, once again, one of those legacy brands that's going to go away. Yeah, there's there's big changes in media. We've talked about so many times and how we fractionally watch things and how you get information, how I get information changes. You know what's really important, Steve? 1980 video games. 1980s video games are always important. There's, there's, we, can, we can certainly talk about 1980s video games all day long. Which one do you want to focus on today? Well, Steve, there's been some records out there. Um, Donkey Kong records are usually the ones that we are going to suggest are the big oh. ones. And do you remember this guy named Billy Mitchell, Steve? Uh-huh. The King of Kong. Yes, sir. Well, you know, he, he had his, um, his, I guess the King of Kong was re removed from him, Steve. Uh -huh. And uh, they reinstated his oh, records. Oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness. I'm so glad that Billy Mitchell's records on Donkey Kong have been restored. That's the 2024 story. There's so much fun to all of these stories in history. There you go. History. I'm, I'm, I'm learning about history today, Chip. History and uh, science. This is the most educational episode of Too Much Scrolling ever. I don't know, Chip. I think we have enough information to survive another week. What do you think? Only we can come back next week, Steve.
I think we can. We would love to hear from you. Give us a call or a text. Our phone number is 805-4104-TMS. Our website is too much scrolling.com. Our email is too much scrolling at gmail.com. We're on all the social medias. We're on Spotify and Apple podcasts and YouTube. And you can always ask your smart speaker to play the latest episode of too much scrolling. I want to thank you again for listening to too much scrolling. I'm Steve Fodor. I'm Chip Hassan Frozen Chip Hassan <laughs> See you in the future. 